There's no solitude in haste. Slow down. Slow down. First, um, if it's okay with the question, you talked a little bit about um, living in Western Massachusetts, and I just want to talk about, a little, if you're okay with it, have you talked a bit about not living in a major metropolitan city and how that affects your perspective or your creative work, or if it does or doesn't, or just generally living in Western Massachusetts, and maybe why you chose to, to live there. Sure. Um, I'm going to think for a second about structure because that's a lot of, because I didn't really choose to move there necessarily deliberately. I was living in Boston and I was in a band and we were going places or whatever. Actually, the last time I stayed at the exact hotel that I'm in tonight was with them two years ago. Like, oh, really? Yeah, and it's been really freaky because I'm like, what? Are there ghosts here? Because like, pretty, pretty much I moved to Western Mass and then like not to New York or anything because we broke up. Or bef like right before we broke up. And I thought that I would have to be like going back and forth for um, rehearsals and then like, it's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I won't be doing that. Yeah, because I couldn't afford Boston and um, I mean like I have to pay money to live and I'm bad at earning money and I don't, I decided kind of early that I'm not very good at doing workforcey things that I don't feel are ethical, which are 90% of them. And mm -hmm. also money being what it is. So I kind of wanted to live a place with a low overhead um, so that I could guard whatever was precious to me about the creative process. Smart. Yeah. Very, and very, very smart. Thanks for validating that because I get a lot of shit. And mm -hmm. I also miss my friends in different cities a lot. I actually have a lot of anxiety about living in Western Mass like these days because for the past two years, I've been building up um, sort of like my rep and my discography and like trying to develop my work and also develop an ability for other people to hear my work and it's really difficult to do that when you're living essentially like on i live basically on a back lot mm -hmm. sort of like there's a um an abandoned college campus across from me and it's in like perfect silence which is incredible for writing music like that but it's very difficult to look at and be like, am I a failure? Because <laughs> there's like literally nobody to entertain you but yourself and like the people you choose to hang out with there. Yeah, right. Whereas in a city, you can just look at anything and it's so overstimulating that 
Like it's harder for me to create now after having lived in the country a little bit, but also it's easier to judge yourself as a success or a failure because of the stimuli. And when you're in a city, you're surrounded by enough human suffering to justify your own like notions of success. Yeah. Whereas like when I'm, give you confidence in a weird way. Yeah. It's like, I could be so much worse off. Whereas I'm in the country living in like a beautiful zone with low overhead and people I love. And I'm like, I'm a failure. Like it's, it's a thing. It's interesting. It's interesting psychology. I think though, especially at this point now, you're traveling a fair amount for your work. Yeah. And you're, you know, putting out records and your network has grown. That maybe it's actually just perfect to stay where you are in, in a sense. Yeah. You know, not trying to tell you what to do, but in a way it's <laughs> like, almost like, yeah, really low overhead. Yeah. And you, there's a crew of creative people out there. Chris Corsano's out there. Yeah. And there's some other people. So it's not like you're living in the middle of nowhere. You know, there are, there are creative folks out there. Right. Like one of the projects I'm most excited about right now is this quintet I have. With, there's this band that was sort of like a noise institution in Western Mass called Fatworm of Error. Wow, never heard of them. Yeah, it's, a cool it's name though. Yeah, it's from Nietzsche, which is really funny to me. Got it. I think someone said "woo" back there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Clinky. Clinky. <laughs> but um, but Fatworm's drummer and bass player, uh, well, the drummer's Neil Young, who helped with the Full Mantis movie about Muffet Graves. But they're. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah. We have a band with those two and this guy, Andy Allen, who's a brilliant sax player, and Ruth Garbus, who's a songwriter and singer, but she does vocal improvisations, and it's all improvised music. Cool. And, like, if I didn't have that, I'd feel weird about not living in a city, but these people are so dedicated to the work, and, like, they have the time and space to be dedicated to right. it in a way that right. I've noticed with Chicagoans more than New Yorkers. Yeah. It's trying to simplify it, but in general, there's just more space in the city of Chicago. And it, if you do want to still leave, live cheaply, it's very easy to do that here. You can go to the West Humboldt Park and live in a two-bedroom for $700 a month where what? all my friends in New York are like, I have a couple that have rent-controlled their places that they got in the 80s, and they're yeah. doing fine, but many... And I've had a great New York musician perform here. I was interviewing him. He's like, I'm telling my students not move to New York now because it's just... It's that capacity. It's, it, it's that capacity, and like the whole island of Manhattan is drying up into a giant corporation. It's a mall. And it's becoming a mall, and there's no creative place. It's just like... It's, it's not over, but it's changed so drastically that... You can argue that that's not the place to go to, like, try to, like, make something work anymore. And unless you happen to be independently wealthy. I think a caveat would be it is a place to make something work. Mm-hmm. But it's not a place to, like, this sounds really bitchy because I do really love a lot of people's work there. But Yeah, oh, my God, there's some great musicians. But totally, it's not a yeah. place where I can create. Like, when I'm there, I'm just, I get forced into this role of the observer. Yeah. And when I'm stuck where like literally my blood is louder than the outside, then I can write. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to my friend Jamie Branch, this great trumpet player and composer that lived here for a long time. It's from here. Lives yeah. in New York. Um, and Jamie told me that the situation, the scene in New York feels more like you jump into a moving stream. It's that's and you beautiful. can do a lot of stuff and you get your playing together. You can really get your chops together and really have your, your playing strong. But it's harder to develop a band and like keep a band together. Yeah. And that's kind of a difference. Like I'm not sure there's the art ensemble of Chicago. I'm not sure there could be an art ensemble of New York. Like I'm you know, speaking a little bit metaphorically, but I think there could if it were cheaper. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's the 
goes right back to the what how much it's changed yeah mm-hmm. it's I mean, I feel a little bit less than qualified to talk about it because I've never lived in New York. I just right. have all these theories, like from my castle. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's still like I, I think you know. If, if I were to move somewhere in New York, I think the most interesting city. And you might think I'm crazy. Is Buffalo? Could no, it, that's not crazy. Uh, it's Buffalo's the greatest. Yeah, it's like okay, Martin <laughs> Feldman was here for. I get it. Yeah, it's like makes sense to me. Like it's a very interesting place. <laughs> I will never move to a place with more snow than Chicago. But I mean, mean <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a very yeah, that can be a place we could develop some. I think you may be able to develop some interesting music. That glorious cackle over there is my friend Anna, who I knew from when I lived in Rochester. Got it. Undergrad. Okay, because you were at Eastman. Yeah. Okay. And. I have a lot of friends in Buffalo who are so creative and so it's like a it's like Deadwood or something. Mm-hmm. You just right. go and like be a poet. Yeah. And like yeah. hang out. Yeah. It's amazing. it's okay for you i want to move on to the performance a little bit tonight so Um, much more fun than talking about city (laughs) (laughs) super interesting like really and i'm not just saying that because you're sitting right next to me but that was one of the most original sets we've had an option i have to say um and i heard a lot of influences and please correct me if i'm wrong if i'm wrong but i heard um i heard robert wyatt i heard um Derek Bailey, I heard Joe Morris, I heard Catano Veloso, I heard Joni Mitchell, and maybe I'm make, mixing and making things up, but this nope. is how I perceived it. Check, check, but check, could check. you just talk a little bit about these songs and about maybe the influences and how these songs came together? We'll start there. Sure. Um, so the songs that I played between these, uh, between the text pieces, I don't know why the, the quote thing, uh, they're kind of something that is so I'm kind of arrogantly referring to as like the new style because everything I used to write was like it's such a funny thing to talk about with your own music like that like I'm dead or something but these songs are a lot slower for the most part than anything I've ever written because the thing that made me feel comfortable writing songs rather than just going into like jazz or improvised music or composed music um, was saying that they were etudes and also like trying to make sure that I could sing over the etudes because that's just harder and at the time when I was writing like that I was really macho and I wanted to like be visibly good at something and like because I'm an overwhelmingly emotional person they ended up becoming like songs with the with whatever originary purpose songs have of communicating an emotion but ultimately for me they were like how do I reconcile the split between the singing me and the playing me and in do that with the heat of performing. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do that because that was like the closest way of actually alienating myself or just like removing like myself from the moment of performance mm-hmm. so that the emotion of the material could speak through it. Like it was all entanglements with like embodiment and how, how to make shit really hard and, mm-hmm. and what that meant for like disappearing um i was really into these ideas about like virtuosity and like 
kink about virtuosity that were really half-baked, but I thought were really smart. But at least they helped me write this like really crazy material that developed this technique. But recently, shit has been like really slow. And I think it yeah. has to do with the country. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but all of the people you named in terms of songy people are like, that, yeah, they're like my tribe. A lot of it was listening to my friends in Brattleboro, Chris Weitzman and Ruth Garbus, and um, who I listened to before I moved there but became friends, and which is still crazy, because for me that's like saying I'm friends with Paul McCartney. Like, they're so good and like uncannily so, and they're alive and they go to the co-op every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it fucks me up. <laughs> but um, now I'm just like relishing and cursing. It's but all good. It feels really good. But for, yeah, I just only got into Wyatt, and I only really know one of his albums very well, which is Rotten Hat. Oh, yeah. Which is my favorite album, maybe. But there's an album that's been really influential to these new songs by David Sylvian from Japan called Blemish that has Derek Bailey on it. That's like a really, I didn't think that was possible. But also when I heard it, I was like, I've I've been doing that already is it i mean i hate putting categories on things but is it more of a pop orientated record with Derek on it or is it totally it's just weird yeah <laughs> it's just cool. like whatever it is cool. are there vocals on it <laughs> yeah sylvian's a vocalist and okay. his, he kind of my friend says that he sounds like goat yelling like a man like <laughs> he's got this like really like <laughs> kind of like 80s tremolo but also loud very cool and it's really present in the mix. And then, like, Bailey's equally present in the mix. It's really got to be heard to be believed. <laughs> wow. I'll have to check this out. Yeah, it's wacko. Amazing. I love it. Amazing. Let's go back a little bit to uh, where you grew up and maybe your first experiences with music, like your first instrument, how your environment was. Was it an encouraging environment to create in? Was it an environment you had to leave in order to create in? Or a little bit of both? Or or I know I'm asking too many questions. Let's just go back to where did you grow up? No, ask all of them. (laughs) I'm from Maryland and my parents were really supportive and they were not musicians, but... 
Um, I think that they see the anxieties that I feel and they're like supportive with reservations now. Like the more that I reach a level of like presence or something, they're just like, you seem tired. And I'm like, yeah, I am. (laughs) So it's funny how it's turned into like, you're living your life on your own terms. What are the costs? Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I am pretty deliriously happy. Great. Whatever. But either way, they're, I mean, they're pretty musical. My mom taught me how to play guitar after I quit piano when I was 11. That was my first instrument. Mm -hmm. And I I was really like an ear player of all of that Mm -hmm. and would just teach myself things by transcribing a lot, especially on the early years of guitar. And then I got really into jazz, I think, because of the same macho impulse of like trying to disappear by being really like technically fluent at something. And, um, Luckily, I had never had to worry about being virtuosic, so I got out of that like very okay. quickly. <laughs> it was very good for me. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll never be that, so I don't have to worry about that. It's <laughs> so, so fascinating that like you can say that about yourself, because I don't know. Isn't that like, isn't mastery sort of like a thing that's just? How are people so strong? Why am I not this strong? I'm kind of bugging out. Like, that they can resist, like, the kind of capitalist thing of, like, mastery being shoved at them, and they, they can just be like, fuck it, no, I'm fine. Like, yeah. I was never strong enough to resist that. Well, I wasn't strong. I just couldn't play that way. I couldn't be able to. <laughs> I have an okay single-stroke roll on the drums, but it was like I was never, like, I would hear someone, like, total virtuoso percussionist or pianist or marimbist to be like, oh, my God, like... There's no way I'm gonna get my my Jimi Hendrix record on, go mow my lawn, and just forget about it. Man. Like it was like, <laughs> that's so you know, funny. I, I, yeah, it like, blew me away. It blew me away. I was like, wow, virtuosity is incredible. Then later on, I was like, is virtuosity incredible? I don't know. Like, for some reason, Glenn Gould. I listened to Glenn Gould's piano playing, which is quote unquote virtuosic, and it has real music. It doesn't feel like somebody just trying to to. Uh, Show off is not the right word, but just trying to be like, check out how amazing I am at doing this thing. It does, not at all. It's, he's too weird for that. He's just so brilliant. But I don't feel like, wow, this guy's like sat in the practice room 14 hours a day and can play these amazing pieces. It doesn't feel like that at all. It's like, like a real earthy quality to, to his music. And I don't get that with like a, some, like when I hear some virtuosos play. Yeah, me either. I'm not going to name names, but I hear like there's various versions of the Bach cello suites. Oh. When I hear Pablo Casals play the Bach cello suites, to me that's real music. Because there's this element of tension with uh, like a, feel, a feeling like maybe he can make a mistake. And that makes the music very intense for me. Where other cello players that are virtuosos, it's very, very good, but almost feels like too safe because they're, they're too technically <laughs> virtuosic. I think it's because there's two... I mean, like, doing a very lazy um, linguistic separation of, like, virtuoso and, like, what it means, like, like there, there's virtuous just right in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to speak more to that because I don't remember any Latin. <laughs> but um, strength. strength. Yeah, but I feel like that's so good. Okay, but I feel like with um, the virtuosity, that's like stupid, like proto Steve Vai virtuosity. Like it's not about that disappearance, that kind of like Zen repetition. Then you disappear in the action thing that is like also consistent to repetition in like jazz forms and like forms by just like non non explicitly like white westerners um that kind of disappearance virtuosity i hear in a pianist like like alexis weissenberg or something who's like super precise 
Right. But it sounds like the way that ice is scary because it's like impenetrable and it's accurate, but it's mm-hmm. not soulless because like his thing is he liked looking at fire and being like, there's a little bit of cold blue in the middle of that. I want to be that. Mm-hmm. And his virtuosity is like, what is the human part of me that isn't alienated by that blue? And like, that's, and oh, he wow. disappeared. He's so deep. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, but then there's virtuosity, like the, like the dumb kind of virtuosity where it's like, yeah, I can like shred. Right. And I love doing shreddy stuff that I can do and it feels really amazing. But that's like not music. That's Could like Could you cosplay. demonstrate some shredding for our studio audience? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, because now I have to be good at it. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, I I think that those two they tw- they twin each other and they confuse people, be- um because there's also there's like that same twinning and like people saying that they don't know that as much as they actually do. Right. Where they're like, oh, I'm actually an artist. I'm not really a rock musician. Right. You know, and totally. that's just as insidious to me. Yeah. Yep. I was reading in uh, John Corbett's great new book about '70s music. Um, about when you were younger getting into like classic rock how if you found out somebody was classically trained it was like oh this band they're classically trained how it only meant like they must be just like musical gods because yeah. they were classically trained yes they were a great rock band and i heard they're classically trained as yeah. well like put them in like this whole <laughs> other category which is kind of like yeah proud rock is fascinating for that yeah, really total totally body amazing. erasure yeah <laughs> yeah except for it does make you dance and also like if you not yes yeah, so i can't dance to yes but Maybe like Gentle Giant slow okay. down. There you go. <laughs> That's my like secret shame. <laughs> Nothing shameful in that. Are you sure? <laughs> Not at all, man. Nothing shameful in liking Gentle Giant slow down. This is um, the only time I think I'll ever hear someone else saying talk a bit about your writing did your writing come before music or did it happen kind of at the same time or like your poetry yeah um i don't know i mean i feel like i've been doing both for as long as i was like an even vaguely conscious person so i think yeah i don't know so maybe i'll ask um a follow-up is some of your favorite poets some of your influences why you got into poetry or the people that you were reading um, I think the first poet that meant anything to me was Lorca, mm-hmm. because I was I would go to Barnes and Noble with my dad, and he had this like In Search of Duende book that was like weirdly important because I was like, why do I like 
this music and not this music. And then uh-huh. his was like the first exploration of that depth that I had encountered that wasn't pretentious or theoretical. And um, then I got really into his work. It was around the same time as I was getting into like, just like writers who spoke Spanish in general. Cool. Um, but I think the the first poets that made me feel like I could pretend to be able to do it which I still do. Um, I think where James Merrill was the first, like my first adult favorite, because mm-hmm. he's a like a ruthless formalist the way that I am in my songs. Mm-hmm. And um, I read his big one, and it just like freaked me out because the way that he thinks about rhythm is, it feels, it just feels really like stuffy and like <coughs> just kind of like frilly in a way that isn't bad and also he's interesting because you can't separate his magic from like the partner that he kind of like almost writes out of the thing and he introduced me to Maya Darren who is important to me now um because she was one of the characters in um in his book but it was him and it was John Berryman who was shown to me by somebody who went to Eastman with me who I went out with for a while and that like his dream songs were I think like the most important thing for me writing songs just because you could never really discern the form but you knew that it had regularity and then another person showed me Ted Berrigan which led me to Alice Notley and then reading Alice Notley was like probably the best thing I ever did for myself very cool yeah so, so it just kind of New York like school discovering Lorca like sent you like into all these different directions yeah, and what's funny is I, I hardly ever talk about it mm-hmm. because I, I'm not really like a published poet. Like this, it is a guiding principle of all of my compositions and especially the songs, obviously. But it's not like it's sort of like I'm really into I'm really into metal and I listen right. to like extreme metal and war metal all the time. But I don't like playing any metal bands. Right. So whenever I say it, I feel like I have to know a lot about it so people know that I give a shit. But ultimately it is like the generative force behind the things that I do that aren't it. Right. Awesome. Really interesting uh, thing I heard about Lorca. Um, was watching an Orson Welles interview from the 70s on BBC and he was talking about bullfighting. And one interesting thing he said was that out of all the Spanish intellectuals um, during the 30s, Lorca was the only one who was actually in favor of bullfighting. That makes sense to me. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, maybe Orson Welles was completely drunk and lying, but <laughs> this, yeah. But even if he was, that's it's an interesting little antidote. Um, maybe I'll ask you one more question, and then um, after that, we can see if anyone in the audience has any questions for you. Um, and I just want to just, you, you, you already gave a wonderful introduction to the piece you played tonight. Um, maybe you can just reintroduce it one more time, just talk a little bit about the narrative and the music and how it works together, because I would love to hear that one more time. Sure. Um, and then you can shred after that. <laughs> <laughs> so the piece, I don't, I haven't titled it, which is funny because it has like a zillion words in it already. Tentatively, it's Venice section, because the first time I performed it, I bled all over my guitar. And that does have to do with... Shredding. Shredding. But it also has to do with how much text there is. Got it. Um, so each of them is like 10 single space pages cool. in Microsoft Word, which is a really funny score. 
to do or deal with. And um, it's four movements. The first one will be named after the thing, which is now Venice section because it's on film. Um, and the second one's Ostra. The third one's Scherzo. And the fourth one's Coda. And so the first one is about that inability to capture the virtual in your um in your mind before the moment of creation i know that it's a very foundational thing for improvisers to be worried about um like trying to get something accurate down if they're not the sort of improviser that just lets sounds happen and then deals with that mm -hmm. there's like as if there's only two schools but like those are two principles and mm -hmm, for sure. uh, yeah and this piece started with this movement um because i wanted to write around what was possible to not express so with as many words as possible i wanted to which ended up being like pretty roundly 10. i wanted to have the act of writing and the writing itself point to something that wasn't really there which all writing already does but this was really like expressly like what like I almost couldn't know what I was trying to say and then I had to just like talk around this imaginary like locus for as long as I could and reading that and writing that are like uh, they're twinned for me as a person who's like interpreting it and who wrote it um and then I'm supposed to play around that and tonight I was pretty literal with that the second one um I actually don't know if I, I'm comfortable going movement by movement, but uh, I guess I'll say like briefly about the other two movements. Um, scherzo is based around rhythm, so the writing for that is about like the rhythm of jokes and mm -hmm. like slow jokes and fast jokes and and not necessarily the twist at the end of them, but like how you hear people delivering it. So it's mm -hmm. about like the performativity of a rhythm. Cool. And then the last one, Coda. I want Oster to be a secret. Um, <laughs> Coda is just, I, I wrote 10 pages of as many endings as I could think of. And I like to be really traditional in how I play that on the guitar using like really classically cadential endings. And I like to play last. Cool. And so a lot of them have like a kind of formal function based off of the sonata. Like there is this introduction of like, this is a, how, this is a piece about the failure of like writing um, something accurate to an idea, like a teleological end idea. And then it becomes like over the course of the piece a little bit more related to like what a suite is. Awesome. And then the songs are just songs in the new style that are like slow, mm -hmm. <laughs> that have to do with the feelings about it. So I, I play in them this, this time, this is the first time I've done it broken up that way and I really like it, but I do feel weird not like joking between songs because that's like a lot of what I do when I play song sets and it feels more comfortable and looser. <laughs> Got it. So that's- well, It was really original. And even if I didn't know the conception behind it and just listening to it, it was super strong and there was a lot of tension and it flowed really well. So Yay. congratulations. Thank it was you. Really lovely set. <laughs> I'm so glad it worked. It really did. Truly, that 
like to play Oh yeah, it's a thing I do Oh yeah, I like to drive Oh yeah, it's a thing I do tell you what she'd hoped for I mean your skin would be turning green and I'd be jealous sitting cause the beach is far away the payment came today I drive alone Smarter